the book of Matthew, chapter 8. We continue our journey through the Daniel plan, and I'm excited uh, to hear so many reports of people that have uh, had experiences that they could share, and uh, I hope that you are making the very most of this opportunity, believe it or not. So we are on the home stretch. We'll wrap up next week. Before we get to the message, I um, do want to say thank you also to everyone that made the open house possible Tuesday night, and you're going to get to see a video during our offering time today that will just show you the transformation from the beginning of construction to the open house Tuesday night. Two special thank yous that I want to say, and I don't know if either of these individuals are here or not, but two people have went above and beyond with our first phase of Next Steps, and that would be Mark Behrens, who was the chairman of the First Step Committee, and Dana Corneman, who has overseen much of this. So um, I actually see Dana back at the board. Will you express your appreciation to Mark Behrens and Dana Corneman, please? Very, very thankful to each of them. Well, each week when we come to the sermon slot, we're trying to do three things. And one is there's an extended teaching on one key area of the Daniel plan. This week it's on fitness. And if you look in page seven of your bulletin, I'm not going to read this for you, but really some great reasons why this isn't just a passing fad. This shouldn't just be something that you do for a day or a week and, and, and call it a day or call it a week, but really should become a part of your life. Fitness is huge. And just being blunt, too many Americans don't take fitness, exercise, being active seriously. Each week we also hear a testimony from someone in our church. And this week, Rennie Kluver from our church, who is the executive director at the Clinton Y, is going to share with us. And then we also have an extended teaching from God's Word. And this week we're looking at Matthew chapter 8 and, and um, someone that wowed Jesus. Think about that for just a moment. A person actually wowed Jesus. If you read through the Gospels, more times than not, people were wowed by Jesus. But we're going to look at someone, a very unlikely person, that just by his response, by the way that he, he um, asked Jesus a question, he really wowed him. So with that, I'm going to ask Rennie to come on up at this time. Rennie has been the executive director of the YMCA for a little over a year and been a part of our church for quite some time and when i thought of the the five key essentials faith food fitness focus and friends and i thought about who could talk about fitness i felt like rennie was really just uh just an obvious choice he lives it it's a part of his life as executive director of the y so i'm going to ask him a couple questions and i think he has some stuff that he's going to share as well but really the the, the pressing issue is why does fitness matter? Why does exercise matter? Why should someone who's here today even care about fitness? And that's a great question, and I really can't say it much better than what the book does. If you are reading the Daniel Plan, it's a, a great book, and I think it's the fitness part starts on chapter 5, but on page 151, they come out and say, if you were to ask 10 people if they believe exercise is good for their health and well-being, how many of them do you think would raise their hands? If you guessed 9 out of 10, you would match what we intuitively know to be true. Exercise is good for us. But what do you think is the number one exercise that will help you look and feel younger, ramp up your sluggish metabolism, reduce and manage your weight, boost your energy, enhance creativity and productivity, increase cardiovascular endurance, improve muscular tone and strength, enhance sleep, reverse heart disease and high blood pressure and diabetes, reduce stress, bring joy and youthfulness back to your life? And so what is the number one exercise? 
Well, it's the one that you will do. And the book does a great job of helping you find what you like to do and turning that into being active. And, and, and Greg and I have talked about that. So many times, exercise, you hear that word and it's kind of a dirty word because you're going to have to get your gym bag and, and go to the health club or go for a run and, and you're going to be sore the next day and it's, I just don't want to do it. If we look at it as, well, what can I do that I enjoy just to be active and not really calling it exercise right. uh, is the key. Yep. Now, you're at the Y at Clinton, and I think the misconception that people have if they're not a part of the Y, they're not a part of a health club of some sort, is that only really super physically fit people go places like that. And, you know, if, if I don't exercise, I'm going to show up and I'm going to be a fish out of water. There's not going to be anything for me. You know, that's really not true. Talk a little bit about what the Clinton Y has to offer really for anybody uh, of any background or lack thereof when it comes to fitness. Yeah, and the Daniel plan, again, it's focused. This is a faith, food, fitness, focus, and friends, and that's pretty much what the why yeah. focuses at, too. And we've got a number of classes that people can partake in, and it's all types of shapes and sizes, ages, you name it. We're it's a family atmosphere, and no one really looks down on anyone. We're all there to better ourselves. And you don't have to be an athlete right. to be fit. Um, and I know too many people really get discouraged because their goal is to lose 20 pounds, and they, they can run and walk all day, and they're not losing any weight. Well, that's on the outside. Look what it's doing for you in the inside with right. your cardiovascular health. Right. Well, I would say the reverse of that is you can look – perfect. You could have an incredible body and be unhealthy if you're not exercising, if you're not eating right, if you're not going down that road. Um, let's say someone's here and they're saying, wow, this sounds great. Um, where do I start? They show up at the YMCA. Uh, do they have to figure it out by themselves? What, what, what can you all do to help them? Well, and I, that's another misconception I think a lot of people have with exercises. Uh, if you come to the Y and want some guidance, we will give that to you. We've got a great staff that will sit down with you and basically help you with an individualized health and wellness plan. And if it's water exercise you like to do, if it's you want to do a class, a land fitness class, we will help you in that guidance and also help you in the dietary needs as well with uh, special recipes that are, are healthy for you, help you even grocery shopping, you name it, we will guide you. You just have to come in and ask. You don't have to come in there and just get on a treadmill and, and do it by yourself. Well, and I would just say, Rennie, Gretchen, Monica, I mean, there's so many people that have ties to our church here that are at the Y. Stop by. Do not be afraid to ask. There's no dumb question. The only dumb question is the question you don't ask. And uh, I just want to say thanks to Rennie. Give him a hand, will you? Thank thanks, you. brother. God bless you, man. And again, if you're with us for the first time and you have no idea what any of this is about, we are in the middle of the, the Daniel Plan journey. We do have books that are available. If you want to know more about it, feel free to ask questions. We do have a brief summary of what the Daniel Plan is all about. The, the number one key to the Daniel Plan, though, isn't eating right. And it's not being physically fit. And it's not even focused. It's not even friends. But it's that very first key essential. It's, it's that idea of faith. Jesus shared a verse of scripture in the gospel of John that I think is maybe one of the most abused verses of scripture in all the Bible. John 10, 10, Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. 
And unfortunately, that verse has been perverted by some. Some have taken that verse and said, see, God wants you to be a millionaire. And if you just love me enough, you're going to be a millionaire. And, and if you just have enough faith, you're going to live in a mansion. And you're going to have a job that earns you seven figures. And that's not at all what Jesus is talking about. But Jesus is talking about the abundant life. Jesus is talking about the full life. That word life that's underlined, the Greek word is the word zoe. And it is, it's a magical word. It's a mystical word that describes the kind of life that Christ's followers are called to have. And so too many times we really focus on how crummy life can be. We find ourselves really down and discouraged. The, the hard knocks of life visit us. And, and even during those times, Zoe, the abundant life, can allow us to, to take lemons and make lemonade. Now that sounds cliche, and you say, is that really the case? That's what Jesus is saying. Even when life is crummy, even when life is awful, even when your hopes and your dreams are dashed, if you follow me, you're going to have the full and abundant life. And, and the key to that is one word. It's the word faith. The faith concept is also very misunderstood. A lot of people have no idea really what faith is all about. So right now, let's put up on the screen the question, what is faith? And I want you to think about that for a moment. If I were to ask you to give a definition of what faith is, what would you come up with? How would you describe faith? Think about that for just a moment. What is faith? What is faith? What is faith? Well, I'm going to start by telling you what faith is not. And, and a lot of these misconceptions really are, are, are running throughout churches all across America. Number one, faith is not a power or a force. Um, you know, the whole, may the force be with you. And I, I mean, that's not faith. Faith isn't some mystical power that if I get this, I'm going to win the lottery. Or if I get this, my baseball team's going to win. Or if I get this, all diseases are going to stay away. That's not what faith is. Faith is not a formula. For a lot of people, they try to live a formula-driven life. What's that look like? Okay, I go to church, and I tithe, and I serve, and I tell other people about Jesus, and that equals faith. Faith is not a formula. Third, faith is not the same as confidence. Now, as Christ followers, we're called to have confidence. We're called to be people who are confident in our faith. But faith is not the same as confidence. And finally, faith really is not complicated. How many of you came up with a definition of faith? Anybody come up with a definition of faith? I'm not going to ask you to shout it out loud. But if your definition sounded something like Hebrews 11.1, 1, then you've got a biblical definition of faith. Hebrews chapter 11 is the faith chapter in the New Testament, and it's an awesome read. If you've never read through Hebrews chapter 11, that's a homework assignment for you today. Sometime this afternoon, take Hebrews 11 and just read through the faith chapter. But here's how the writer of Hebrews defines faith. Verse 1 says, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. It's not complicated. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So why is there so much confusion about faith? Well, I think it's because sometimes we don't really have the kind of faith that we see in Matthew chapter 8. We don't embody the kind of faith that's world-changing, that's life-changing. See, for some people... They have a, what I would call a self 
self-serving kind of faith. When I think of the kind of faith that they have, it's very self-serving. If I get what I want, then I'll be a person of faith. If, if life turns out like I want it to, then I'll be a person of faith. The problem with the self-serving faith is that it's very shallow. It won't take you anywhere. A second kind of um, weak faith is an immature faith. An immature faith. And it's a faith that, uh, that, that, that won't allow the hard knocks of life to keep you from sinking. An immature faith. Some people have a very public faith or a very private faith. Um, I, I'm a Christian when, when I'm at church. I'm a public faith kind of person. Or a private kind of faith. I, I am a person of faith, but I'm certainly not going to talk about it. That's kind of what the world is telling us today. That's kind of what the, the politically correct crowd is saying to us today. You can be as passionate about your faith as you want to, but don't you dare talk about it in the public sector. Don't you dare talk about it at school. Don't you dare talk about it at work. I, it's nobody else's business. And so I think both are, are um, incomplete if I only have a public faith or I only have a private faith. And then finally, many people have what I would call a skeptical faith. Maybe they grew up in the church Maybe someone they love is really into church. They're not so much. They, they come. They're, they're around the worship some, but they're just not sure they're buying it. Um, I, I want to let you know at this point that um, if that's where you're at, you're not alone. You, you probably have neighbors, family, friends, maybe that would articulate that kind of a faith. Beginning September 13, our church is going to be part of a, a Central Illinois-wide study entitled Room for Doubt in partnership with Lincoln Christian University and Lee Strobel and Mark Middleburg, we're going to be tackling this idea of doubt and how it's okay to have doubts. It's okay to, to, to be skeptical. It's not okay to stay there. It's not okay to never wrestle with it and never try to work through that. So all of this was a big introduction, a big setup to, to share a, a passage of Scripture that is stunning when you read it. It's Matthew chapter 8 verses 5 through 13. And the really cool thing about this passage of Scripture is that this individual, it's a centurion, a, a Roman commander of a, of a hundred soldiers, Gentile. This centurion had such incredible faith, it wowed Jesus. Gentile. He's an outsider. Soldier. They're bad guys. And yet this outsider, this Gentile, this soldier had such powerful faith it wowed Jesus. So let's read God's word. Matthew chapter 8, beginning with verse 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve you to, to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished, and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Let me read that again. I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. 
But the subject of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. Jesus was wowed. Jesus said, This is incredible. That this outsider, this Gentile, had so much faith, and then he looked at all the religious uppity-ups. He looked at all the people that supposedly had it all together. They did a lot of religious things, and he said, you just don't get it, do you? It's not about the things that you do. It's about a faith like that. What's the surprising assessment from Jesus? That this centurion has the greatest faith Jesus has ever encountered. Jesus, at this point, this is pretty early in his ministry, so we're going to say he's 30, 31 years of age. And you may say, well, maybe he's just not encountered that many people. Maybe he's just not been around religious people. But no, Jesus grew up in, in the religion. Jesus grew up understanding the faith. Jesus grew up knowing very much about the synagogue. He often experienced time at the synagogue. They'd unroll the scroll and read the scriptures, and Jesus has been around a lot of religious people. Jesus has been around a lot of people who consider themselves really good with God. And he says, this soldier, this commander, this Gentile, has the greatest faith he'd ever encountered. I don't know about you, I want to have a faith like that. I would hope that if I'm sitting with Jesus and we're drinking coffee and we're talking, he's going to be wowed by my faith. i got to be honest. I think sometimes I'm a lot more like the religious leaders of the day. I've got a weak faith. I've got an immature faith. I've got a shallow faith. I've got an incomplete faith. So what can we learn from this soldier? What can we learn from this centurion? What was so great about his faith? Well, number one, this centurion had a limitless faith. There was no limit to his faith. Where did he get this faith? I don't know. Maybe he'd heard the buzz about Jesus. Maybe he heard that the crowds were talking. But this centurion had a limitless faith. And unfortunately, too many well-meaning Christians today have put God in a box. If you ever find yourself saying God could never fill in the blank or it's not possible for God to fill in the blank, you don't have a limitless faith. Now, if you say God could never make me a millionaire, you're asking the wrong question. You're going down the wrong path. But for too many of us, we've put God in the box. Here's how you know sometimes if you put God in the box. You get a call and so-and-so just in a terrible car wreck, or so-and-so just found out they have cancer, or so-and-so's marriage is really in bad shape because of this or because of that, and, and, and they say, will you pray? And so you pray. But as you pray, you've pretty much convinced yourself there's no way they're going to get better. There's no way that marriage is going to survive. There's no way they're going to recover from their injury. Put God in the box. That happened to me this week. Um, Friday, I was a uh, day off, went for a bike ride, Decatur. Got a call from Marla, and she said, um, we got really bad news at the doctor. 
uh, we think Peyton has pneumonia, no mission trip more than likely for him. And so I was just bummed. I mean, been fundraising and looking forward to it. And, you know, I just, I started praying. And as I was praying, I was hoping that he wasn't going to have pneumonia. But I'm thinking, you know, doctors, they're, they're pretty sharp. They have a pretty good idea. I'd almost convinced myself that my prayer was in vain. Now, I wish I could say he was healed and he doesn't have pneumonia and he's on his way to Mexico. I, no, he's got pneumonia and he's at home recovering, which is a bummer for him. But my point is, if I don't pray that prayer believing that it can happen, I'm putting limits on my faith. Are there limits on your faith? This centurion had a limitless faith. Number two, this centurion had a humble faith. And you may say, well, of course he had a humble faith. This is Jesus. But you've got to realize this is a guy that, that's got power. I mean, he's commanding a hundred soldiers. When he comes into town, people take notice. When he says something, no one's talking. No, no one's distracted. Because if they did, th there'd be some pretty serious repercussions. This guy is a big deal. This guy is used to having everyone's unconditional attention. And yet he comes to Jesus and he is humble. He says, Jesus, I, I know you're a busy guy. I mean, the, Jesus was a teacher of the law, which the soldiers, no big deal at all. But he had a humble faith. In a world where power was everything, he had a humble faith. And this is another huge connection for us in 2015. For, for too many of us, humility is not a part of our faith whatsoever. Number three, the centurion had a compassionate faith. He had a compassionate faith. Um, who's sick here? Is it his son that's sick? Is it his wife that's sick? Is it his grandchild that's sick? Who is it? You can say it. It's the servant that's sick. And you may say, well, that's kind of cool. Well, it's really countercultural that he would even care about a servant. Because guess what happened to a powerful person in the first century world when a servant got sick? They were out, and there was someone else waiting to take their place. I mean, these were power people. They didn't have time to mess around with stuff like the flu and the cold and strep throat or cancer or heart disease. You can't do the job. You're out. Someone else is coming in. But not this centurion. For whatever reason, this centurion cared about his servant. He cared about his servant enough that he set out on a journey to find Jesus. And it's a compassionate faith. What's your faith like? Is your faith just all about you? Is it all about us? Is it all about our lives? Or is it the kind of faith that cares about others, that sees the big picture, that, that has a kingdom perspective? And then finally, lastly, the centurion had a believing faith a believing faith he said jesus you're so awesome you're so powerful you don't even have to come now i gotta be honest with you if i go to jesus and hey my servant's sick and he's not feeling good and jesus says i will go i'd be like let's go let's go get on the donkey i'll lead the way let's go right now because you're jesus but this centurion had such a believing faith he said you don't even have to come just say it it's gonna happen just say it's going to happen, and he will be healed.
And it's a believing faith. Do you have a believing faith? Or do you have a skeptical faith? A cynical faith? What do we do with Matthew chapter 8? How does this impact our lives today? For those of us that are going through the Daniel plan, but, but even if you're not, even if you've got nothing to do with this, you just think it's the craziest thing in the world, what do we do with this, this crazy kind of faith that we see from this centurion? I've got some challenges for you, and every week I do the fill-in-the-blank sermon outline. I know it's old school, and I know some of us do it, and a lot of us don't, but even if you don't, I want to challenge you to fill in the blanks for this last part of the message, because I am hoping that this won't just be another sermon, you know, about faith. But I'm hoping that this will drive your thoughts. This will drive your focus. This will drive who you are, and that we won't settle for God in a box. We won't settle for cynical, skeptical, but we will have a faith that, that can move mountains. So, Four takeaways, 2015 takeaways. Number one, I challenge you to live by faith. I will not put God in a box. And that's the first obstacle for many of us. Maybe with the Daniel plan. You're saying, I could never fill in the blank. I can't do it. Don't put God in a box. Secondly, I choose to live by faith. I will dream great godly dreams. Do you dream? Or are you just doing life? I love when I see adults who have dreamed godly dreams and God uses them in crazy kind of ways. People like our friend Barbo Donahue, insurance salesman, Lincoln, Illinois, today missionary in Africa, changing the lives of the Pocot people. And Barb's awesome, and I mean, she's been here, she'll be here again, but you know what? She's a pretty ordinary person. I don't mean that disrespectfully at all. She's probably a lot like you. Am I saying you should sell your business and move to Africa? I'm not saying that, but I'm saying, do you dream godly dreams? You say, God, how can you use me? Are we just too busy in the routine of life? Number three, I choose to live by faith. I will expect God to use me. I will expect God to use me. See, I think a lot of times what holds us back from really changing the world isn't that we, we can't dream. It isn't that maybe we don't even have faith. But, but we've got the other person complex. What's the other person complex? Well, that's a great dream, but that's for someone else. I'm too busy with my stuff right here. I'm too busy with my, my life right here. I hope that as this sermon's being shared, one of the things that's kind of rolling through your mind is, what is God calling me to do? What can I do with my life that will make a difference? That will be life-changing. That will be world-changing. Expect God to use you. And then finally, I will choose to live by faith. I will not be afraid to risk failure. I spent about the first 20 years of my adult life, I'm so old, I know, but about my first 20 years of my adult life really being afraid of failure, really thinking that you can't fail. If you fail, you're a failure, you're a loser, you're no good, and people don't respect people that fail. People don't respect people that have had setbacks, and 
one of the things that I realized is that failure is not all bad. Now, you don't want to have a life where all you experience is failure. But if you're not dreaming, if you're not trying, if you're not stretching yourself, you're probably not all that God wants you to be. Some of the greatest Christian heroes of the faith in the Bible, out of the Bible, experienced failure along the way. Um, I, I could start rattling off names. You'd know most of them. They experienced failure. And if we're going to have a great faith, if we're going to have the faith of the centurion, we can't allow the fear of failure to slow us down. My prayer that as we conclude our journey together next Sunday morning through the Daniel plan is that through all of it, our faith will grow, our faith will increase. And, and instead of saying, I could never or it will never, or God can't ever. We'll have a faith that can move mountains. And so as I have every week that I have preached, I want to just conclude with a couple tips through the Daniel plan. Fitness is kind of the big idea today with Rennie's testimony. And number one, I really want to challenge you to consider stretching yourself in the area of fitness. you got great options right here in DeWitt County. The wise is a great option, but Curves, I've never been to Curves. I'm not really even sure where it's at, but they have reached out to us. They have a special Daniel plan rate, if that's more your style. Um, for a lot of us, it's just getting out and going. It's just being active. Number two, develop a daily Daniel plan routine. Develop that routine, and, and, and it becomes a habit. And the key hashtag there is Daniel Strong. And then finally, don't keep your successes and your failures to yourself. Share your accounts with others through the FCC Daniel Plan Facebook page. And next week we wrap up, I can't believe we're already there, becoming who God meant you to be. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. And thank you for the chance to, uh, to be in your word. I, I thank you for this incredible faith of this centurion. And it's my prayer that, that we can be people that have a powerful faith like this centurion. Not, not for our glory, not so we can say, hey, world, check me out, but so we can bring all the glory to you. And even more than that, so that more and more people will come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We love you so much. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.